We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. Joining me on this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast is my good friend, Stephen Blanchett. How are we doing, Stephen? Thanks for being here. What's going on, Max? Glad to be here as always. Thank you for having me. I am doing well. How are you doing, man? I'm good. You know, another another day covering the Ducks. Can't ask for much more. Got to talk to uh, Dan today. Uh, after getting that national championship with the Georgia Bulldogs kind of feels like we're tiptoeing in between like a bunch of different seasons. Like I was in football mode and then we had early signing period stuff. So it was recruiting mode. And then now we have hoops again. So trying to kind of keep it all uh, going here, you know, covering the ducks. Um, I am heading back to Eugene on Monday. So I'm excited to be back. Uh, been, been out of town for almost a month now. So I'm, I'm definitely missing Eugene uh, been able to, to travel a little bit, which has been much needed. But uh, we got some stuff to get into, man. Uh, I know we had talked a lot about kind of the transfer portal, you know, news that we've kind of been seeing recently. And that's kind of where I wanted to start things today. But before I get into that, um, if you guys are watching on uh, YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus, thank you guys so much for uh, tuning in to the, today's episode, today's show. Definitely hop in that live chat and, uh, you know, ask any questions that, that you kind of want us to tackle. Steven and I always enjoy hearing from you guys and seeing what you want to talk about, about the ducks. Cause it, you know, a lot's happening right now. So all that being said, if you guys are here live, thanks for tuning in. If you're watching on the replay, let me know what you, uh, what some of your takeaways were from a uh, Thursday's press conference. Cause Dan Lanning certainly had a lot to talk about. So Steven, what I was talking about kind of alluding to earlier is transfer portal stuff. Kind of the two big names that we're keeping an eye on right now is, is Trey Benson and uh sean dollars um you know both running backs uh you know we can start with dollars because i think that that's kind of the fresher news right now because he's kind of been in and out in and out and then he finally you know broke his silence if you want to say um and i set the record straight on twitter i have his uh his tweet right here that i can just read and then kind of want to get your thoughts on how everything's kind of been happening he said, after talking with Coach Dan Lanning, I've decided to take myself out of the transfer portal and stay at the University of Oregon. I'm fully committed to putting my focus on the team and seeing everyone in Austin this upcoming season. Hashtag Go Ducks. What do you think of that, Stephen? I think it's interesting on a lot of levels. First off, with how everything has been going with him being kind of in, like you mentioned, in and out, in and out. So it sort of reminded me of the uh, situation we had with Seven McGee 
a couple weeks ago where he said he was going to transfer, said that he wasn't going to transfer. Uh, but then we had that additional flip-flop. And uh, at least from his tweet, uh, you know, he said after talking with Coach Lanning. So it makes me think maybe he hadn't had a conversation at all with Coach or hadn't had a real substantive one. So that was my first thought is that, again, Coach Lanning, it seems like when he talks to these players about what their potential is and what they can accomplish here at Oregon and buying in, seems like he's hitting the nail on the head most times. The other aspect of it is what it means for the future of the running back room, right? So originally when I thought that he was transferring or when he said he was in fact going to transfer, then I assumed that either Die or Verdell is going to return and one of them wasn't going to go to the league because then that would uh, make it so that that running back room is that much more crowded. But now with him returning, now I'm thinking potentially the it's uh, – the potential is a lot higher for both of those guys to be entering their name into the NFL draft and not returning. So those are the initial kind of thoughts I got from it. It could mean a million different things. It could mean none of the things I just said. What do you think, Max? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely easy to, uh, you know, kind of infer or speculate about kind of what this means. I feel like, um, you know, unless a lot of these guys go on social media like Sean Dollars did, we don't 100% know what really happens until a coach lets us know. Um, so I think that, um, you know, to kind of backtrack a little bit when, when Trey Benson initially put his name in the portal, uh, you know, reports, he didn't announce that on social media. That was reports, uh, coming out. Um, I think the first one I saw was Matt Zenitz at on three. So that's kind of the, the reports that we're citing here. Mainly he's been doing a great job tracking a lot of transfer portal stuff throughout the off season. So Benson hit the portal after dollars did. And then when I saw that, I kind of thought, kind of like you were saying, it made me think, okay, probably one of those two guys in Dyer Riddell is probably coming back. I think right now I'd probably say I would feel more confident about Dye. Um, you know, just, Agreed. just because I don't know, this makes a lot of sense to say, but like in a way I feel like he's more invested in the program, but in, in so far as his brother went there, mm-hmm. you know, he's there, they got to play there at the same time, you know, the whole man of men of Oregon type of deal. I feel like I could see a little bit more, um that's that kind of makes me think that he may be a little bit more likely to come back and and with Verdell I mean he's been a great back for the Ducks but he's played so much football and and he's gotten really banged up I I just don't see for him if he's obviously like a lot of these guys are hoping to ultimately end up in the NFL kind of what you think about um you know trying to come like what what benefits do you really have of of coming back for another year so that that's kind of what what I think about about those guys kind of um, you know, where they might stand because we, we're still kind of waiting to see those those decisions. Like that's one of the updates that we got today, I guess, was that there isn't an update rather from Dan Lanning because he was asked about those specific decisions and he's saying, you know, I don't want to put any timelines on on specific guys. You know, those are all personal conversations and decisions that they're going to have. Um, and he's he's really, you know, putting it in their, their hands and, and letting them make that announcement knowing, um, you know, when they're most comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, with the NFL process, those guys all have the benefit of getting a grade sent to them, right, about where they're potentially going to end up. So that's one thing that these guys are probably waiting on here is to get that initial grade. Um, You know, another thing is, like you mentioned, CJ Verdell has got a ton of tape already, so he doesn't really have much more that he needs to put on film. He did have that injury against Stanford, and that's not just a little tweak that he was, you know, just fighting to come back from for the rest of the year. That's a serious injury that he dealt with. And as a running back, I hate to use this word in the NFL, but it sort of seems that way unless you're elite, elite, elite. 
running backs are sort of disposable in the NFL. And as everybody knows, every pick you go down in the draft, so does your monetary value of your first contract. So with CJ and that injury, I, I would be, you know, I, I would put my money on him probably being the one that if the decision is, you know, one of them's going to stay, one of them's going to go. He would probably be the one to go for those reasons I just mentioned. Uh, and then with Travis, this is his first year to be able to really be the man if he does stay, which I think would be enticing for him in terms of him being a program guy, like you've said. I mean, he's been here a long time, but he's never been the man, the number one guy, which he clearly would be next year if he returned in that running back room. So, but again, with with uh, Sean Dollars returning, it sort of makes me think that both of them are leaving. But I think those grades are going to be big. Everybody who watches the Ducks knows that Travis probably needs to put on some additional size just to make sure he stays healthy in the NFL. But it's going to be interesting to see what these guys what these guys decide to do. And, and Lanning, like you said, Lanning didn't you know provide details, but I think he was honest. Like there's a certain timeline for every one of these players again because they've got to do their get their own grades talk to an agent, talk to their family, see what's really best for them. Uh, at this point, it's not really what's best for the program with how long they've been involved. So it really is what's going to be best for their situation and their draft stock going forward. I want to go back to what you said about, um, you know, Travis Dye being the guy, because I feel like we actually did get to see that this year, right? You know, CJ goes down and then a lot of people were wondering, okay, what's this offense going to look like with, with Verdell definitely being the lead back. I think, you know, I don't want to say I'm completely innocent of, you know, kind of questioning what's it, like, not, I never questioned if he's going to be able to do it, but I was curious about what it was going to look like. Right. Cause you know, a lot of people want to, um, you know, knock him for his size, you know, listed on the Oregon website at 5'10", 190, but he was running between the tackles. They were giving him tons of carries and then you know, ultimately ended the year with 211 rushes for 1,271 yards and 16 rushing touchdowns. And then um, I think he, he dipped a little bit in the receiving category, I believe. I don't know what his stats were last year, but 402 yards in two touchdowns on 46 receptions. So I think we, we do know kind of what it's going to look like there. Um, but I kind of wanted to transition that topic a little bit since we're talking about the backs into just, I feel like Oregon has had a running back problem for years now. And when I say problem, I don't necessarily mean problem. It's just yeah. always so many talented backs. You constantly year after year after year, you're wondering, well, where are these carries where are these touches going to come from and that was definitely going to look it was definitely hard for anyone else to really get involved at the start of last year right because for Dell and die just were really that 1a 1b type of deal and then the ducks are playing a lot of games really close like we've talked about before steven which makes it hard for younger guys to get involved but now just based off of what we know i think that the there's a lot of excitement and intrigue in this running back room because carwell really came into his own last year um, you know, he got the biggest workload out of any of the other backs. And then seven McGee has obviously shown how special he can be, whether it be running or passing, but I don't think you, if you're Oregon, you don't necessarily want to be in a situation where you only have Cardwell and McGee. I think it's nice to have a, because then you only, only would have had two scholarship backs if dollars did in, indeed stay in the portal and then end up finding a new home. But because cross Patton, for people who didn't see, he's going to be transferring to Nevada uh, to follow Ken Wilson. And Ken Wilson in Nevada has just been cleaning house in the portal with, you know, some some former uh, Oregon players. Um, so wishing them the best. But now that Patton's gone, um, you know, if Dollars didn't end up taking his name out of the portal, you got McGee, Carwell, and Aaron Smith. And then I'm, I'm sure there might be some other walk-ons on there that I'm unfortunately not remembering. But 
man, I mean, having dollars back is super big because I think in the 2020 season when Verdell was hurt, we we did get to see some flashes of kind of what he brings to the table. And, and I think that there's still a lot of possibility for him to, uh, you know, really make an impact here at Oregon. Yep. Yeah. And I should have clarified earlier. What I meant is when we hadn't gotten the, the chance to see Travis be the man is that by by def or by plan, we hadn't seen that. Okay, so sure. he was thrust into that role, right? And I think actually that might, with what we saw, that could entice him to come back. But at the other flip of the coin, he played so well, it could entice him to go to the league, right? Like, look what I can do as a lead back. I mean, 16 touchdowns, the guy was, he was phenomenal this year. I mean, in my opinion, clear team offensive MVP. So uh, he had a phenomenal year. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. You're right, with Oregon and having that, that problem, right? It's a great problem to have. I think in my opinion, what you want to, you always want to have four backs in somewhat of a rotation, right? You want to have the guy and then potentially the, uh, the pass catcher guy, the, the long yardage guy. And you've got two interchangeable dudes behind that. But again, with running backs being, they get the rock so many times, uh, their bodies take more hits than anybody else. And so you've got to be able to have people that can step up. We saw that with Oregon last season with Fertel going down. Uh, not only was it the classic Oregon next man up mentality that we all know well, but it was just a, a sign of how talented the roster is, right? Cardwell came in and it was like, he didn't miss a beat immediately. And, uh, you know, that's a, again, that's a credit to the culture of this team that not only crystal ball built, but that the Oregon program has with, you know, next man up. But at the same time, it shows how much talent and depth they have in that running back room. But when you have talent and depth in a running back room in a transfer portal where, you know, you've got no reins on on where people can go, then, yeah, there's going to be there's going to be people that need to get their touches somewhere else. It's like you said, there's only one football with with Knicks or uh, with whoever it's going to be at quarterback next year. I think a lot of Duck fans want to see the rock in the air more than it was this past season, too. So that takes touches away. So all those things are things that those guys need to consider because they're regardless of where they do end up, they all come to Oregon with NFL aspirations, especially off the, on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, we're going to be potentially getting a lot of touches. One more thing I wanted to add, Stephen, just on the, the running backs from, from what we heard with Dan Lanning today and kind of the recent news that we know we've combined kind of that as our, you know, opening topic here in, in this episode um, it is what, uh, what Lanning said about the backs. He said, I'll say this. I'm excited about the group of backs that we have. We'll continue to be aggressive in finding guys that can enhance our program and make us better. But I think that that a lot of those guys will be a part of what we're doing moving forward. So I don't know. I mean, depending on what happens with Diane Verdell, maybe we see the Ducks added back in 2022 because, you know, you'll remember that Mastro said that typically we only do one back a year. But in the 2021 cycle, the most recent cycle, they took both Cardwell and McGee. So maybe they go into the portal and, and get somebody. Um, I think that could be, uh, you know, some, something reasonable for them to do with uh, Dollars being a 2019 guy, but someone who really hasn't seen the field too much. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that that's something that I would necessarily prioritize and say is super critical. I think, you know, you need, you want some experience at some of those other positions, like, you know, in the trenches or certainly at quarterback. I think that you can kind of get away with having some more inexperience um, at, at running back, but with the way that Carbo played last year, you know, I'd, I'd be super confident having him out there as, as RB1, um, you know, based off of, of what we saw last year. Same here. Again, the kid didn't miss a beat when he got into the game. He performed, you know, well the entire season. He was a threat every time he touched the ball. I think throughout the entire conference or press conference that landing had this afternoon, uh, he was expectedly 
pretty cagey about specifics within the portal, right? And specifics about player situations and stuff like that. And that's how every coach is. But I think he did go back numerous times to highlight, obviously, that they're going to utilize the portal as any team would do in trying to plug holes in the roster and bring in the best talent that they can at every position to win games. But he seems very genuinely focused on the roster that they have now, which I think is extremely important. And again, has been proved a few different times now with dollars, with McGee, uh, with convincing some other guys who weren't thinking about transferring, but thinking about going to the NFL to come back. So he's clearly focused on the guys that he's got in, you know, in Eugene already right now, which he should, because it's such a young and talented team. Uh, But at the same time, you know, we talked about, he talked about how, you know, he's in the ta- he's in the uh, the tunnel after the game, confetti falling down on him, and he's FaceTiming with the recruit. So clearly the guys, we all know he's an incredibly savvy recruiter, but he's been, you know, neck deep in recruiting for Oregon while he's been at Georgia the last few weeks. And it was clear as soon as the, the final, you know, whistle sounded, he was immediately back into recruit mode for Oregon. So... I think that he's spreading around his, I guess his, uh, his attention where he needs to do it in a pretty, in a pretty good way in terms of making sure he's hitting every important aspect, transfer portal guys on the team right now and, uh, and future recruits. So yeah, staying on that topic, we uh, got our first comment of the show. I definitely want to get your guys uh, comments up here. So this one comes from Mike. Thanks for tuning into the show, Mike. Mike says, I like landing's focus on the guys in the current locker room build the culture from the inside out. And then that really just goes back to one of the big focuses like you're talking about, Stephen, and, and today, um, you know, and, and finding, you know, those guys that, that you already have on the team that you ultimately uh, want to retain on your team. I'm trying to find the, the specific quotation here because he was asked about a couple guys um, who we haven't seen um, like most of the last season, like Lance Wolhoy and Jared Greenfield, and then asking yep. about the uh, upcoming decisions for Karsten Battles and DJ Johnson. But this is what he was kind of talking about because he got asked about like numbers and and um, you know he he wants to play that pretty close to the vest. So this is this is what uh um you know he said had to say on that. He said uh, our number one job here is still retention of the guys that we have, but we're in the field of acquisition as well. So we'll look at the portal. We'll look at opportunities for high school players and junior college players that we can hit that can enhance our progress as we move forward. But as far as specific numbers, he's not going to get into that. right now. So I think, I think that's definitely something that, that I think helps put into perspective why we haven't maybe seen like an explosion on the recruiting trail. Like some people maybe would have expected. I mean, we, the attrition that we saw was insane, but to expect like a really big quick turnaround on the recruiting trail, maybe isn't realistic, at least given the timing, like now that this staff is assembled, like that's something that I think I'm really down to talk about later. Steven is like, I really think that they could potentially meet or exceed where crystal ball had them, you know, uh, in the recruiting rankings. But I think that that there was some of the reason that we haven't seen as much action on the trail is because he's getting those guys that, Man, we really haven't seen too much of in Eugene yet to stay. You know, Sean Dollars is a perfect example. We've hardly seen what he can really do. Seven, we you know just got a glimpse, but those guys were people that you know kind of you know had that that moment when you kind of just had to sit back and say, okay, you know, I've I've been here for X amount of time. You know, coaching transitions, you know, definitely no easy thing to go through. Maybe I gotta take my talent somewhere else, but I think that that's you know a great point here. Like you just can't understate how important it is for for these guys, 
um, to to stay in Oregon. Yeah, I mean, when when you're using the transfer portal, you're using it to plug holes in the team. But you want to have as little holes or the least amount of holes to plug as possible. And so you've got to, one, just focus on the guys you have. And see, that's the only way you can use the portal effectively is seeing, one, where you've got those needs. And that that is that takes some real deep assessing of your current guys that you've already got. So that's one. Two, in terms of culture, you know, a lot of these guys, I'm sure – the, and, and it's not just with landing, but anytime a coach leaves and a new regime comes in, it's like, well, I wasn't one of this guy's recruits. I wasn't his one of his guys. Like what was told to me and my family in my living room is potentially not going to be what happens here for the future of my career if I stay here. So what does it look like for me now? Extrapolate that across every single one of the guys here in the locker room, right? They've all got their own goals or what they want to do here. So him doubling, tripling, and quadrupling down on the fact that he's focused on the guys here, I think is really important for that culture because it shows the guys that, okay, it doesn't matter that he didn't recruit me. He knows that I'm a talented football player and he knows that I can contribute to this team. So I'm going to buy in to his process as well. And that's what kind of makes it so that those guys aren't hemorrhaging to leave. Like, obviously, like you mentioned, there were some people that left after Cristobal um, decided to go to Miami, both on the current roster and recruits. But it was not the hemorrhaging that I was a little worried might happen uh, in the coming weeks after that. So retention has been huge for him. And the retention also goes to the recruiting side, right? Like I, we haven't lost, like I just mentioned, we haven't lost a ton of numbers on that side. And so I think all of it sort of goes back to his culture and his ability to sort of realize what's in front of him right now and being able to maximize the talent that they've got. And uh you know, when it comes down to it, he's got to be cagey about that stuff. He can't be giving details about these conversations he's having with players about their intentions and where they might go and what, what their goals are. I mean, where would the trust be with, with, you know, the building at that point? So he's going to be cagey about that stuff naturally, but overall his focus on retention, I think is going to bode really well. And again, like, like you mentioned, Cristobal had this team rocking in recruiting rankings. It's an incredibly talented roster. But I think the potential here with the staff that he's assembled and just his natural, clear recruiting ability that we're seeing right now and his energy, I think they can blow 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 the top off the thing. I think they can get uh, consistent number one classes in the Pac-12 and get up there in the nation. Yeah, I think that going into that top five territory is really that next step that they need to take. And, you know, I've talked a number of times about getting out into Florida, so I don't want to repeat myself too many times there. But that's a point I'm still very passionate about. Uh, we have another comment here from No Quarter Ty. He says, I love how he strategically pulled coaches and play callers from a wide variety of conferences, expanding the Ducks' recruiting reach. This kind of goes into what, one of the questions that I actually asked him today. So I think that this relates pretty well. I was asking him about, you know, how he went about finding that balance between the NFL and the college, you know, ranks. Like, how do you kind of go, like, what, just some perspective on that? And he was saying, you know, I really feel like here at Oregon, we can go and pull from the best of the absolute best. And uh, just because, you know, I wanted to get a good blend of the NFL, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but we get a good blend of the NFL and the college ranks. We don't have to sacrifice, you know, one for the other, as far as, you know, where we get the experience from. Um, he want, he told, he reiterated rather that he wanted to get guys that were good recruiters and good developers of talent. Um, and doesn't feel like there's going to be any drop off there. So I think he got a really good mixture, just like, you know, this comment is saying of guys from across the country, 
Um, you got uh, people with really good West Coast ties like Tosh Sapoy and Demetrius Martin. Demetrius Martin's been all up and down the Pac-12. And then you have, you know, Adrian Clem, who comes over from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, you, you know, you have Wilson Love, who's a strength and conditioning coach, who has ties out there in the South. And then Carlos Lachlan, who is at Florida State and Western Kentucky. Like, they're just all over the place. It's just incredibly diverse staff uh, from, you know, their experience. Uh, you have guys that have had off-field uh, roles as well. I feel like uh, I read something about Lachlan being a, a strength and conditioning guy at one point. So you just have people, I think, that have done a bunch of different things, worn a lot of different hats. I think uh, Tony Tuoti, he was a guy who um, has some experience in the recruiting department as well. So it's just it's really coming together, and I don't want to hype it up too much because we still haven't seen anything as far as an on-field product goes. But I think we really know that recruiting is going to be big, and, and that's uh, you know something that we're excited to see come together here. Yeah, I think anybody who really follows college football understands that recruiting is not only the lifeblood of the program, but it's basically what gives your team the best chance of success to compete on a really high level, i.e., the playoff. I think the the Michigan you know uh, game against uh, Georgia against Lanning's old defense was a really good example of that. Michigan's riding a dream season uh, looked like, looked like potentially a team of destiny and all those four and five star guys running around in Georgia. Just, it was just like men amongst boys it, during that game. And so you can, that game alone, I think was a really good representation of how important recruiting is. Now Lanning has worked under guys who, live and breathe recruiting every single second of every single day of every single season. They don't take a day off. Kirby Smart, Nick Saban uh, worked with Mel Tucker. Uh, that's just a short list of names. So he is well aware of the importance of it and him bringing on a staff that also encapsulates or also buys into that mentality as coaches is that's pretty much their number one thing that they need to solidify no matter what, if recruiting is good, we can just build off of that. Uh, that's incredibly important and it's really smart. Um, so it's the, it's the surest way to set yourself up for success in college football is having a high, highly rated recruiting class. The guys who rate these guys are pretty, pretty accurate in terms of, you know, their skill level and where they're going to go. And so, um, being able to realize that, okay, I'm coming into a situation where I've never been a head coach before, you know, like, how am I going to build this staff to make sure that I'm the most successful you know, coach I can be in the program is the most successful as, as it can be. He's doing all the right things in terms of making sure every single aspect is covered. Uh, and the diversity of the Hmong and the coaches in cute is huge. I'd love for to get your thoughts on, on that kind of expanding a little bit too. But um, I think that's going to be huge in terms of being able to identify specifically for players needs and goals as they're getting out of high school. He's going to be able to have a coach to plug in in the conversation for every single one of those goals that each individual guy has. Yeah, to, to go to that point, I think, you know, the the reason I, that I am so impressed by this staff is because I think when he was initially hired, a lot of people were, you know, talking about his youth and, and how he hasn't been coaching for a super long time compared to maybe some of your more seasoned veteran coaches. So they might have been, you know, a little bit, I don't know if I'd say pessimistic, but maybe a little bit, you know, cautious about, you know, how, who is he going to be able to attract? You know, I think that that's, I was writing this earlier today, kind of along the lines of, of this, like, you know, great players want to play with great players. And I think good coaches want to coach with good coaches. And, you know, we're, we're seeing him attract a lot of big name coaches. Um, you know, which I think chief among them, Tosh Lapoy and Demetrius Martin are some of the ones that stand out to me the most. Like, I don't really think that he, I wasn't, uh, 
he obviously had a connection with, with a lot of these guys before, but taking a swing for some people that he maybe didn't have connections with, I think says a lot about him just, you know, really uh, leaning into that Oregon brand, right? You know, yeah. like who, who wouldn't want to coach at Oregon? You know, there's only a handful of programs in college football that I think you can really, you know, dangle in front of people um, and they're going to, you know, flat out not have much hesitation, you know, saying, oh yeah, I'd go to Bama over Oregon or I'd go to, um, you know, a Georgia or a Clemson. Clemson's been kind of down, so maybe not the best example lately. But I think you get my point. So he's he's yeah. definitely still, you know, gotten some some really big hires. Yeah, and, and again, that kind of goes back to the diversity of just the staff in general, but also like geographically for di- diversifying that, right? And so, like you mentioned, Oregon's got some of the top facilities in the country, rivaling any school in any conference, SEC included. Um, but everybody on the West coast knows that, but you and I have talked offline about this. Like not everyone really understands that they know the Oregon brand. They know Nike, they know the flash, they know the swag, but they don't know, see all the stuff in the background that goes into that as well. That is part of that. And what makes that brand even more special. And so having people that are able to go into so many different corridors throughout the recruiting game um, and be able to speak to so many different levels of experience. I mean, I, th- I he, he mentioned it in one of the quotes he had, the two biggest things you look for in coaches is relationships and development, right? So relationships, recruiting, development, making your talent better. So obviously those are the two things that are going to make you have the best chance to win. And then he's talking about, uh, you know, in terms of where he's getting these guys specifically, I think it was important that he mentioned like, yes, some of them have had really high level college experience. Some have had really high level NFL experience. Some of them haven't had enough experience basically that any of you guys have really heard of, but I know for a fact that they're some of the strongest minds in football in this country. So the fact that he can identify that stuff and is like you said, willing to kind of let go a little bit and not be as hands. It doesn't seem like he's going to have his hands insanely in every single pot of every single aspect of the game. I think he's going to let his coaches coach, which I mean, again, Thank you to Mario for everything he did for the program. I love him, but I I did think that he was way too involved in a lot of different aspects of the game and not letting his coordinators and his coaches coach to their best ability, best ability. So um, I really think that again, it's early on, like you said, we don't want to ride the hype train too high, but it really seems to me that he's doing everything right in terms of being able to land the guys who are going to be able to do their job and do it effectively. And then, develop players on the field. And that's what you ask of every player, right? It's just do your job every single play. So when you've got that potential symbiosis here, like he's just been doing everything right in my book so far. Before we get to, we got a couple of questions and comments here about recruiting that I want to get to, but before we get to that, I think it's just, you know, he, he talked about it today and it was such an underrated point. Like, just talking about, he's like, you know, it's, we're really lucky to have the technology at our fingertips that we do. Like the fact that he was able to juggle both of these, like, I don't think anyone's really going to know what that was like unless they were in Athens or, you know, uh, you know, in his family or something like the fact that he was able to prepare a cha- national championship caliber defense all while assembling the staff remotely. Um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, he didn't have guys flying into Athens because I feel like, Maybe that was the case, but he's probably not going to be able to, hey, I got to go, you know, meet up with this coach, you know, for a coffee to, to see if he can, you know, if he can, uh, uh, if he wants to come coach with me at Oregon. But like the fact that he did it all remotely is just amazing. And I feel like 
the, the timing really fell in place and it wasn't rushed. Like, you know, I think that was another big point that I liked with, with what we were seeing from Mario Cristobal is every time a new hire had to be made, the fans could be clamoring for action, but he would always sit back and really be calculated and just vet, vet, vet all these guys to make sure that they were an ultimate fit for his team. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and I, I think with his ability to digitally connect with these players, which has been proven, it only just gets me more excited for what's going to happen when he's out there full time in person on the recruiting trail. Um, and, and like you said, the technology is huge. I don't think it would have been, it wouldn't have been nearly as, uh, as easy to be able to have to juggle both of those things at the same time. Granted, it's obviously not prepare easy to prepare a national championship defense and to recruit for another school at the same time. Um, but just going back real quick to that game, like, let's be real, Max, the Georgia defense won that game. Okay. The Georgia defense is the reason that they're national champions. And you didn't even, you, it's cool that he recruit. he was FaceTiming with that recruit on the way out, but you didn't even need to be that guy. If you're being recruited by Oregon to get excited about Dan Lanning, I think, I think the performance on the defense, I'd like to thank everybody on the Georgia defense for their play that night, because I think it really just did. did I think it did a bunch for Dan Lanning's, you know, sort of status, uh, with people who you know are maybe didn't have eyes on the Oregon brand before, and now they do because they saw that performance on the field, and they're like, okay, wait, wait a minute here, let's see what we're gonna have in Eugene next season with this guy. The hell, yeah, I think that just goes back to kind of what we've said about how you know having a, a championship caliber coach now. Um, I mean, they, they got to the championship, so you could still kind of say that it was along those lines, but it's only going to serve Oregon better to have a guy that, that has elevated the defense. And, you know, we've said it a bunch of times. It's not just Dan Lanning, like Georgia has a bunch of brilliant defensive minds in that program. But, you know, ultimately when you're looking at the piece of paper, it says Dan Lanning defensive coordinator, or it did. So he's going to get a lot of credit that is, is definitely well-deserved there building that Georgia defense. And then, yep. I had uh, wanted to get to the next kind of question that we had here. This one comes from Jake. Uh, Demond Williams Jr. Is he an Oregon lean? Um, now he's a guy that was just on my radar today. Uh, you know, tweeting out that he was going to be uh, visiting Oregon uh, this weekend. You know, for people who haven't heard of him, I'm looking at his uh, recruiting profile right now. Uh, four-star quarterback, uh, according to the 247 Sports Rankings in the, tw- uh, the 2024 class, uh, 5'9", 160 out of Bosch High School in Chandler, Arizona. Uh, if that sounds familiar, it's because it's the same school where the Ducks got Cole Martin, the first commit in the 2023 class. And I think that, uh, you know, so I don't know any specific intel on him. Um, you know, maybe I'll be able to, to talk to him after that visit and maybe the Ducks end up offering him, seeing uh, maybe Kenny Dillingham will be able to, to you know, talk to him a little bit more and, and get a better feel for his game, but I think it's definitely good that you're bringing in, um, you know, a guy out of Arizona, which is a state that's been incredibly kind to the Ducks in recent years. Um, but the, the quarterback position is super, super important. I think that the Ducks probably aren't looking super far ahead to 2024 as far as maybe like I don't I don't think anybody really has too many 2024 commits. But we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In 2023, that's definitely got to be a position that's going to be important for them. You know, some some names to to kind of keep an eye on. You got Pierce Clarkson out of St. John Bosco and in, in the Los Angeles area. Uh, you got Jaden Rashada out of Northern California. He was on campus over the summer when he got his offer. He's a really top tier quarterback in the 23 class. Um, uh, Javance Tuapotu uh, Johnson. He's another guy in the Southern California area. Um, those are just some names off the top of my head. So I, I don't know any specific intel on on Demond Williams, but I think it's definitely definitely good that they're bringing him in on campus to uh, you know keep pushing into Arizona, and then you know furthermore maybe even capitalize on that connection with Cole Martin. Yep, you mentioned it. Arizona has been a fertile fertile ground for the Ducks the past few seasons. They've gotten a lot of talent out of out of Arizona, so crucial to keep that pipeline of recruiting going. Um, I don't really know too much about Demond's Demond Williams is, uh, you know, rec- recruitment so far. I know he's getting a lot of looks from a lot of different PAC 12 schools. I know Arizona has been interested in him and is recruiting him pretty hard. Uh, obviously in-state product there. Saw Colorado's recruiting him as well. Uh, getting a lot of looks. I agree. It's pretty early, early to say, but uh, at the same time, you know, with what we've got, who knows what's going to, who's going to be in that quarterback room at the end of this season. Uh, Bo Nix is regardless of what happens in terms of his starting status or not. I believe he did say, regardless, it's going to be a one year thing for him being in Eugene, but you've got to think that if he does start one of those other two guys that's currently on the roster is probably going to go. So that obviously opens up and kind of puts a more, puts more light on that glaring or it makes that need potentially a little more glaring uh, at quarterback there in the future, especially if Nick's does only stay one year and you've got one of those other two guys potentially leaving. So we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. Two, two years of eligibility for Nick's, I believe, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, with him ultimately. And um, you know, based on what happens in the quarterback competition, that was something that was discussed at length today. Um, do you have something that you wanted to add on that before we go to the next comment? No. Okay, cool. Um, this comment comes from soccer guys. Thanks for the comment. We still have to prioritize Cali recruits and own it as our own backyard. Yeah. I mean that you, you saw when, when, um, you know, Mario Cristobal was, was at Oregon and he was asked about, you know, Los Angeles and the Southern California area. And he basically was saying, you know, that's home for us. You know, like you think back to guys like Keon Ware Hudson, Mace Funa, Sean dollars. They were all in that 2019 class for Oregon. If I remember correctly, they were just, you know, really getting into modern day, which is, you know, one of, which is the 
they're the national champions this year, which I think is pretty big. Um, so it's definitely important for them to, to stay in California. Um, Southern California has been a super important area for them and really just the whole West coast. I feel like, you know, Washington's starting to get some better players. Um, I don't think Oregon's, you know, quite at that level as far as some of those other States, you know, producing talent consistently. But when those guys are, are available in state, you think about, you know, Darius Clemens who the ducks missed on this cycle and, we're in a great spot for before the coaching transition. You think about Tano Hufanga, who's on the 49ers now, go Niners. Um, you know, he was another in-state guy that uh, they they you know ultimately missed out on. But I think definitely prioritizing California recruits is going to be huge. I think in this 2022 class before, you know, there was a ton of change. Uh, Texas was actually the foundation for this class. They had five guys out there, but I think if, if history repeats itself, um, you know, California is definitely going to continue and probably should continue to serve as the foundation for a lot of these Oregon classes going forward. hundred percent. You need to have your local area be your, your most, maybe not your most fertile recruiting ground, but it needs to be your most consistent recruiting ground. So that's something that you always need to have sort of showed uh, shored up. And then you want to be able to pull the big name guys from, from other areas of the country. But you need to you need to make sure that the guys who are up and down the West Coast are in your recruiting pipeline or considering Oregon with whatever they're, you know, with all the other schools that they might be considering. You need to lock that down first. So I agree. Definitely. That needs to be prioritized. But at the same time, we hit on it a little bit earlier. I think the coaching staff and the diversity on that staff in terms of experience and, you know, where they've been, I think opens up the possibilities for Oregon to really tap some other markets that they haven't been as active in uh, prior to that or prior to now. Yeah, I think ex- expanding their recruiting reach is going to be huge. I think we saw, you know, we really, I think we're just seeing kind of a, a peek at what the the national reach could really be under Mario Cristobal, you know, going all over the country. Because once he left, I mean, you saw that national presence pretty much evaporate, you know, which is not 100% a surprise, but it's kind of to be expected when, when you're in transition, you know, they had recruits from texas and alabama uh all ultimately back off their commitments um not all of them have signed elsewhere just yet so maybe they can get back in the running for some of those guys but i totally agree with you man like you got to keep pushing forward and and try to keep uh you know ascending those rankings got a another question from from jesse here which i think has kind of been you know talked about a lot recently um you know on twitter and kind of in the oregon duck community Question is, is the Jake Long hire legit? He's supposed to be the inside linebackers coach, but aren't the Ducks fully staffed for on-field coaches? Just to kind of get people up to speed on this one, uh, there was a report that came out from uh, Jim Dunaway. He's a sports host over at Next Round Live. Um, And I think, so he was the one that came out with this report saying, uh, I'm told Alabama analyst and former Tide player Jake Long will be the inside linebacker coach at Oregon, joining Dan Lanning's first staff. Uh, great first on-field job. So that was the the tweet that went out that was ultimately kind of, uh, you know, starting these, uh, you know, the speculation about it, if it's true or not, because it did seem like Landing's on-field staff was, was totally uh, full. I wasn't, I don't know personally if, you know, I think the number that was thrown out there was 10 as far as some on-field assistants and coaches. So we haven't gotten a press release. Oregon hasn't officially confirmed uh, the hire, which has kind of been the process for a lot of these guys. You know, we'll see reports from the Bruce Feldmans, the Pete Thamels, the insiders in college football that ultimately get con- uh, confirmed by Oregon. Um, you know, maybe once these guys finish their seasons, if they're coming from the NFL, like that's what happened with Tosh Poi. But what we can't say is that uh, 
Jake uh, Jake Long has changed his you know Twitter profile to reflect everything. His header is Oregon football. He has an edit with him in an Oregon uniform now. Uh, you know, visor and shirt. It says University of Oregon inside linebackers coach. But the biggest reason this is kind of confusing to people is because Tosh LaFoy was named the defensive coordinator and linebackers coach. So I think optically it looks legit, but we haven't gotten official confirmation from Oregon. So, I mean, not officially official, like we say with, with every story that comes out, you know, confirming the hire. Yep. And if, I, if I'm not mistaken, Max, correct me if I'm wrong here. Apologies if so. But I think that this would be Jake Long's first on-field uh, role, right? He was mostly an analyst and a kind of behind-the-scenes guy. And so the way I sort of viewed it is, yeah, I thought the on-field position coaches were filled too, including landing their 11 that are currently, you know, officially listed on, on Oregon staff site. Uh, but at the same time, if you're looking to build an elite program and you can get your hands on an elite mind who's got aspirations to obviously get onto the field and have more of a, you know, on-field sort of career trajectory, why wouldn't you maybe just create an inside linebackers position for the guy and let him just work, you know? Like, it doesn't matter to me really what the title is. He's clearly a really strong defensive mind. We want to get him on the staff. Just call him the inside linebackers coach. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but that could, that to me, that was sort of the first thing I thought is that, okay, I don't really care what his title is. He could be, you know, assistant, assistant to the assistant defensive coordinator, as far as I'm concerned, you know, but it's just, um, it's, uh, I, I think that it's a really strong hire regardless. So. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, I don't know if, if I don't know too much about his background. I, I I think it would be his first on-field job because I found him on the Alabama website as a player and it said he was a senior in 2016. So he's still a, a pretty, pretty young coach. So it would make sense if it was his first on-field job, but I don't know how all the, you know, inner workings work with like, you know, what kind of title do you ultimately need to give a guy? Can you just do an analyst type of deal? Um, so I don't have too much to add by way of that, but I know we got a couple more minutes here, Steven. Um, so I think I wanted to get on some of these questions and comments before we get out of here. Um, this one comes from PSR Pete. His comment was Oregon may not be able to duplicate the SEC slash Georgia roster. And I agree with keeping current players that fit the system, but we saw there's quite a gap with Georgia, Alabama rosters and the ducks. Maybe do you want to start with this one? I feel like I've taken most of the responses. So I want to give you a chance to kind of say what you think first. Yeah, I, I would agree completely. You know, we did really see the gaps between not just not just talking about the Ducks, but like I mentioned earlier uh, with Michigan and, and Cincinnati, the other two teams that were in the playoff, you saw the clear gap in talent on the field, both on both sides of the ball. So it's it's clear that, you know, there's a ton of really good, really, really talented and, and strong teams every single year in college football. But when it comes down to it, when it comes down to brass tacks, the highest rated recruits and the most talented recruits are the ones that are going to get you played. I should say talented more than highest rated because we can obviously have some three-star guys coming in, you know, kill it. Uh, Oregon's seen their fair share of that, but um, you really need to rely on that strong recruiting base in order to be successful. So it is a, it is a big gap. I think if Oregon, let's just say Oregon had hypothetically had run the table this year, right? They probably would have gotten into the, uh, into the playoff. But let's say Oregon plays Georgia or Alabama. I don't think it's a close game. I don't think the Ducks pull away that pull pull that victory off. And so, yeah, there's going. I don't think it's going to be overnight. It's not going to be even one year in terms of recruiting. But Lanning's, I think, putting the foundation in place here for that in the next three, four seasons. Not only are they going to be the top recruiting team in the Pac-12, 
but they're they're at least trying to legitimately position themselves and seriously position themselves to be in the top five, top 10 overall in the country when it comes to recruiting. So I'm encouraged by that clear sort of path that he's sort of starting to paint and trying to get people to, you know, be aware of in terms of intentions. But um, yeah, the, the recruiting gap is, it's a tough one to sort of fill once you're, once you're behind the eight ball a little bit, which it sort of seems like everybody really is compared to compared to Alabama and Georgia sometimes. Yeah. You say behind the eight ball. And, and I think that Oregon still does have, uh, you know, a fair share of work to, to do, you know, cut out for themselves and, and catching and chasing some of these elite of the elite teams. But I think that the, the talent on the roster is already at a level where, you know, it's not like you're super reliant on some, like on the 2022 class, like you want to have a good class, but thanks to some, so much of the talented youth that the ducks already have on the roster, it's not like a make or break situation. And, I think that, you know, fortunately for the Ducks, they're not going to be in the position where you have to have a lot of freshmen, uh, you know, get thrown onto the field and get thrust into significant roles like you did in, in 2016. Um, you know, there were some young guys, uh, you know, I think back to 2016 and 2017 when Thomas Graham was playing, you know, he he got thrown into the fire and he did pretty well. But luckily the roster's in a good shape where they don't need to, um, you know, knock it out of the park and they're, they're already addressing some needs that are pretty important in the transfer portal. Like we saw with Sam Tamani and, and Christian Gonzalez and uh, Bo Nix as well. So I think that the, the recruiting, you know, the possibilities for that are, are obviously the foundations being laid. And now that the staff's going to hopefully be able to get to work here, you know, Lanny was kind of alluding to that in the press conference, you know, saying he's going to be able to, to get going here. Um, so we'll, we'll see what, what ultimately happens, you know, getting things going a little bit more on the recruiting trail. But And, um, and Max, one it. thing just to add real quick on that is I think it's just been really encouraging and I've loved to see that Lanning hasn't shied away from those conversations and those questions in terms of where Oregon could be in recruiting. So uh, he's not been saying just the generic kind of coach speak of, you know, we know how important recruiting is and we're going to recruit, you know, at the top of our game, blah, blah, blah. Like he's been specific about why he thinks he's going to be able to convince Oregon or people to come to Oregon. Um, he's got a plan already in place. And I think that's really encouraging that he's got the confidence. He's not just out here talking uh, a big game and then sort of going to let the chips fall where they may in recruiting. And he, I think he genuinely is going to get into the fights with the biggest of the big dogs when it comes to getting these big names in the next few years here. And I think Oregon's going to be somebody that's going to be on the lips of a lot of potential uh, recruits that maybe wouldn't have considered in the past. And that's not, again, that's not to say that Mario was not an elite recruiter because he was, and he, he clearly brought some fantastic talent into Eugene. But I think that the possibilities here are, like we mentioned earlier, I think that they, they can get, I think that the potential is bigger. Yeah. The, the potential is definitely sky high with recruiting. We could talk about that all night long. Yeah. Uh, before we get out of here, Stephen, um, I, I did want to just hit real quick on what Landon had to say today on Thursday about the quarterback competition because I think a lot of people, I mean, I think the Bo Nix, uh, you know, transfer edition um, really kind of was seen as polarizing, right? You know, you have some people who are pretty excited about it, but I think the general tone of the Oregon fan base is, you know, some people don't, they're a little afraid that, um you know, they're like, oh, well, yeah, he worked with Dillingham, so I could see him just get being given the job. But that clearly wasn't the tone of what we got today, talking to Landing, 
he was saying that it was going to be an open quarterback competition and, and that they were really straight up and real with, with Bo Nix when, when they told him, um, you know, ultimately had that conversation about him coming in there uh, and committing to Oregon. And he, I'll read that and then kind of let you say your piece. He said, we were really clear with Bo, like, hey, you come in here. There's certainly an opportunity to compete, but we're really excited about the guys we have on our roster as well. And excited to see those guys come in and compete and go to work. So you see that with with guys like Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield, you know they're gonna. It sounds like they're gonna get a fair shot. So it's certainly nice to to hear that as you know we start to head into the off season here with you know the winter conditioning program getting going with with Wilson Love. I'm sure that'll be going really soon if it's not already going. Um, and then ultimately in spring football, that's when they you know start letting it rip and and can really you know show how competent they are with the playbook and and uh, you know I don't think we'll see some separation necessarily in the spring. But certainly spring, fall camp, you have time to really evaluate that whole thing and then, um, you know, may the best guy come out on top. Yeah, I mean, I think that he started off that answer that you mentioned saying exactly that, that, you know, we were clear with Bo. We made him know that it is definitely going to be an open competition here. And Lanning's right. Competition does breed excellence. It definitely brings the best out of these guys who are already competitive by nature. So it's going to bring the best football out of these guys. Um, but I thought it was sort of telling at the end of his answer there, Max. And I do want to, I do want to hop on it or kind of point on one thing. He, sure. said, he, he said, what am I looking for? Leadership, work ethic. You don't get to just be a quarterback on the field, right? It has to leave the field, has to be exuded in the classroom on campus that we operate day in and day out. I think we've got a lot of guys in the group that can do that. To me, that says senior leadership quarterback is what that definition means. And so I sort of like perked up when I heard that because I was, I don't know, it sort of just reminded me about the rhetoric that was used a lot with Anthony Brown this past year when people were kind of clamoring for Ty and people were asking Mario questions about it. Um, it went back to AB's leadership and his experience and his ability to command the team and the kind of person that he is. And so with the landing mentioning that at the end, I started thinking, okay, well maybe he let something slip there and Nick sort of does have, you know, is coming in um, a little bit ahead of the other guys. There's obviously no, way to really know but i just wanted to bring that up as, as as something that i sort of thought when he when he did round out the answer to that question yeah no that's it's a it's a good point for sure and you know, i appreciate you bringing that up because it kind of keeps us honest and you know, makes think you know consider the the whole you know all the pieces of the puzzle right because we did hear that rhetoric with anthony brown so much last season you know that was kind of the the constant you know point of emphasis and kind of what they what they used to, you know, ultimately defend why they were using, why they had Anthony Brown as, as the leader of the offense. But I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think at some point, you know, it, it kind of comes to the, it comes to the point in a coach's career, you know, that you got to take, you got to take a risk. And, and ultimately, you know, some of these other coaches have taken risks. You look at, you know, Tua coming in, that's probably the biggest example that, that people want to go to. Um, him coming in the national championship game. That's not where Oregon finds themselves, but I mean, I think with, with the way that their schedule plays out, we've already, you know, done some early stuff on that. Like if you can get like, say Bonex does win the job, you can get either Ty or, or Jay in and like the Eastern Washington game. I just want to see these guys on the field. Like I'm not even at the point where I want that. Like I, it's like 
somebody has this person has to win the job. I just want we're going to put them in the position where they can get on the field and, and at least have a chance to showcase their abilities because clearly the spring game, spring scrimmage, fall fall scrimmages just just aren't enough. They weren't enough, and, and we didn't. That's why I think part of the reason the staff doesn't know what they have because there's no tape to watch. Yep, Max, I think that's such such an excellent point. Um, first off, like you just said with the staff, they don't have tape on these guys to watch. So if they're looking at tape, they have to look back at high school tape. That's not really that helpful for high-level D1 football if they've been around for a few years. So you hit the nail on the head there. Um, you know, I, I think also it's uh, it, it makes it so that uh, you know, the fans are going to be finally able to see what we've got because – that was where a lot of the clamoring came to is the hype around Ty was there. And when AB appeared to struggle, which again, I think may now be a little bit more on the, on the game plan than AB. But uh, when he started to struggle, uh, people just wanted the new fresh thing. It wasn't like they knew what they were going to potentially get if Ty did get thrown in there. And so I agree. I just want to see these guys on the field. I just want to see them be in some positions uh, to be able to, you know, see what they can do uh, against different squads and different situations and scenarios. So um, I, I would love to have them be in position to be able to all get some reps. Um, I think that would only make the offense more successful, having to be able to have as many packages as possible and utilize, utilize these guys' skills accordingly. Um, but yeah, on the fan aspect of it, um, I think that might calm, you know, these these fans down a little bit if they can actually see what we've got here. And then everybody can sort of make an informed, you know, collective uh, decision on uh, in terms of who to root for and accepting of what the coaching decision ultimately is. I have a kind of a two parter that I want to hit here on these in these comments. So I want to read one comment and then put the next one on to kind of keep up while we keep talking about the quarterback discussion because that's obviously one of the biggest topics in the offseason, right? Yeah. So Randy said, uh, Randy asked rather, do you think Bonex will help our quarterbacks in the long run? And then um, Trevor here had a good comment that I think kind of is a little bit more of my thinking on the matter. So Trevor said, getting Bo, in my opinion, is nothing but a win. He could be Joe Burrow plays on fire he could be jt daniels who challenges but ultimately loses uh you know that competition because i think there were i mean i myself was like wow georgia got to the you know national championship with a walk-on quarterback you know stetson bennett shut me right up at one point you know with a that crazy uh deep you know corner end zone uh shot that was kind of a a jump ball but that was a really great play i just think that you know, you you help out the guys in the long run because you have a guy who who's played at a really high level, has that SEC experience, which I think I'll be honest, I think is really maybe people make too much of it at, at a certain point. But clearly, we've seen how effective Bonex can be when he's at his peak. And I do really like the point here about plays on fire because I think for Okay, here's what I, I think with the whole plays on fire thing. Like when you're looking at Anthony Brown this last year, you know, I think for as limited as a quarterback as he was, his deficiencies or his me- mistakes and mess ups, like they weren't his, the best football he was playing still wasn't at a good enough level to, to make up for those deficiencies. It's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, he had a 50 yard bomb on the run while evading pressure this game. So that made up for, you know, his, his pick last game or something. It was like, there's a lot of his best plays were coming on the ground and you, you ultimately are looking at a guy. I think someone said in the comments that that offered more on the ground than through the air. And I think that that's kind of just something that we have to accept at this point. 
So I think that there's definitely some more potential there as a passer compared to Anthony Brown. You're talking about a guy who who played at Auburn in the SEC versus a guy who played at Boston College in the ACC. So, I mean, I just think that that comparison with, with Brown and, and, and Nick's now, since they both came into the program and weren't originally recruited by the Ducks, is, is an interesting one. But I think it's really this addition of Nick's it ultimately helps the health of the quarterback room. I agree. We'll go back to Lanning's earlier comment again, that competition breeds excellence. So Bo Nix has a lot of really, really awesome experience on the field against some really, really high-level defenses week in and week out. And he's performed overall. He's a really good quarterback. Uh, I think another big thing that's different that a lot of people aren't really talking about when they do that comparison you mentioned with Anthony Brown and Bo Nix in those situations is that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Anthony Brown had a coordinator that he worked with at Boston College that the Ducks then hired as their offensive coordinator. That's what happened with Bo Nix and uh, Dillingham here is Bo Nix has played under the current coordinator. So that's one wrinkle that's interesting in, in that, you know, maybe makes you think that Nix might have a leg up to, to, to start just because he's going to be more familiar with the system than Thompson and Butterfield are, even though they've been in the program here at Oregon longer. So I think that's a little, a really interesting wrinkle uh, in it, but um, I truly do think it's going to be open competition. It is going to serve all three guys well. And uh, you're right. I mean, if we're talking highs and potential ceilings here uh, from that comment from Trevor, yeah, if he plays like Joe Burrow and throws 61 touchdowns, I'd love that. That'd be incredible. That'd be, that would go down as the best transfer since Joe Burrow. Um, but if he comes in and he's somebody like Daniels who pushes Ty or Butterfield to be the elite, recruit and the elite uh, player that a lot of these people, a lot of people, including myself, think that they have the potential to be, or at least one of them has the potential to be, then I think Bo Nix is a great guy to bring that out of them because he's certainly going to be pushing them harder than, you know, than, than any other guy really on the transfer market that I can think of right now um, in that position. I mean, obviously Caleb Williams or some of those guys would be a different sort of dis- discussion, but uh, you get where I'm going with that. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you talk about Caleb Williams. I feel like it. It, it looks like he's probably going to end up at USC. I would think. I think so too. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I saw a report that he spent some time with UCLA um, over the weekend. Um, so didn't DTR I, I, coming back though? That's the thing, though. Yeah, like with DTR announcing he's coming back. I mean, there's just been so much movement at the quarterback position, or at least headlines in the Pac-12. You know, Dylan Gabriel was going to be the UCLA quarterback as far as, you know, announcing his transfer there. And then he flipped to Oklahoma um, after, um, you know, Williams left, I believe. So there's just been so much movement this whole time. But it's it's like the Pac-12 quarterbacks are going to look a lot different. You have Jaden Delora going to Arizona. I mean, Jed Fish has just been balling out as a, as a recruiter. And I think that as terrible as their season was last year, he's really setting them up for success this year. And they could look like a different team offensively. There's another comment here that I got really excited when I read it. So I'm going to go ahead and highlight it again. Trevor with another uh, uh, cool comment and question. So thank you for, you know, putting that out there and, and letting us have some cool conversation about it. He said, I'm stoked about the defensive coaching talent coming in. If they produce Oregon could be Clemson and stand out to all other conference teams. Will they produce? So looking forward to the answer. I think what makes me so excited about the defensive minded head coach deal and, and a lot of the high profile defensive assistants that have been brought in, not only has Oregon been a dominant, had a dominant defense when they've been playing their best. You know, I think back to that 2019 year, a lot of the highest profile recruits on this team, on their roster rather, 
are defensive guys. So yeah, I feel like there's still even more room for them to be utilized. Like just think of what last season would have looked like if we got to see a full season of KT, full season of Noah Sewell, full season of Justin Flo. Um, and, and if there weren't, you know, if Ben and Williams didn't get hurt, you know, he wasn't a super high, highly rated guy uh, as a recruit necessarily. But like, I just feel like there's still so much potential on that defense that still needs to be tapped into so yeah. much potential on this, you know, team overall. You look at the, the skill set, sorry, skill positions on offense with, with Chris Hudson looking like he's ready to, you know, really just have a monster season. Um, that Troy Franklin touchdown was awesome. Uh, Dante Thornton just blew by his defender in that uh, touchdown he got in the Alamo Bowl. But, like, just I feel like it's not a, an overstatement or an exaggeration to say that most of the higher-rated talent on this team lies on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, getting a new staff in here could just really help them, I think, utilize that because Tim DeRuiter – I mean, just the biggest problem for me, like, I think was getting pressure on the quarterback like that, like with the talent that they had on the defense, like that was just not up to par at all, but it was kind of masked right by the turnovers that they were getting. So when the turnovers started coming down, it's like, okay, there's gotta be something here. We're either getting after the quarterback or we're, you know, making up for it with some great turnovers. And it got to a point where they weren't really doing either one. And, you know, they ultimately ended up losing some games. Yeah, you got to be able to rely on one of those two consistently, right? You can't have either falter off if you haven't been able to rely on one uh, throughout pretty much the entire year. I agree. I think I think Deruder got a little bit cute when it came to sort of the kind of the kind of the coverages and stunts that they were running, especially when it came to rushing the quarterback. Um, I am not an experienced football coach. Tim DeRuiter has much more experience than I do uh, in depth in the game of football. But that being said, if I had Kayvon Thibodeau on my squad, he's pinning his ears back and rushing the quarterback every single time. He's never rush, uh, dropping back into coverage from defensive end position. Maybe if I put him as a linebacker, I would do that. But as a def- as rushing, leaning on the edge there, I'm literally having him go in every single play to wreak havoc. Like there's no question about it. So I agree with you. That was a question that I had a lot. I was like, what's going on? And, and the injuries are a huge part of it. KT wasn't hundred no percent the entire year. Um, I saw some notes somewhere. I forget where it is. I wish I could properly source it. My apologies. But uh, I saw somebody say that of the 11 projected starters on the defense this season, prior to the season starting that there was not a single snap played where all 11 were on the field, not one snap uh, as a, from a fan's perspective, being in the stands for that opening game against Fresno state and watching Noah Sewell and Justin flow run around, create the turnovers that they had. Like it was, it was art. It was defensive art. I was so excited. I had a buddy there with me who I didn't know too much about the ducks. And I'm just the whole game. I'm shaking his shoulder. Like these guys are freaks. These guys are going to lead us to the promised land. And then, Sewell ended up having to kind of anchor that defense without the help of a lot of those highly, highly touted uh, guys on the outside there to help him out. So um, I agree with you the, the defensive talent is the, the, the driving force of the potential for this team and Lanning is the perfect guy to be able to bring that out. Like if I was a defensive player for Oregon, if I'm, if I'm Noah Sewell, if I'm Justin Flo. I'm 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 licking my chops to to get onto the field and get coached with Dan Lanning, uh, seeing what those Georgia linebackers are doing, um, you know, in the national championship game. Yeah, and then to kind of wind down here, Stephen, I think that you know I already talked about how there's so much talent on the offensive side of the ball that clearly was underutilized. 
um, last season. You know, you talk about if if Dio or Verdell don't come back, how you know exciting that it is to to see you know what the Byron Carwell offense looks like, or getting Seth McGee more involved, or even heck, getting John Dollars you know more involved now. He didn't play at all last year, and and I think that. I wonder how healthy he actually was because we had kind of heard a little bit about coming back in November or maybe in the postseason for like a bowl game, but we really didn't see him at all. Um, you know, he was a guy that, you know, when I'm going to these pressers. I, I see, you know, him around the facility and always have to smile on his face saying hi to his teammates and everything. So a guy that, you know, is ready to play and, and obviously is clearly invested in the Ducks um, in his decision to come back. Um, but the other point I wanted to kind of wind down with Steven was just, I think Jeffrey boss is kind of a wild card on this team right now, because we don't know if he's going to go back to the d- defensive backfield and the secondary. Cause he played so well at, at linebacker, but it's nice to have him. I think that it's nice to have him there, especially when you're looking at, you know, Justin flow, Noah Sewell, Keith Brown, Jackson LaDuke, like just a lot of good names there. And then Verone McKinley leaves. So it'd be cool to see, um it'd be cool to see if he what he could do you know in the secondary and then dj james still hasn't committed somewhere i did see some some screen grabs of his instagram story of looks like he was visiting miami so maybe he asked to follow mario cristobal to miami but like he's a guy that i think the ducks would really really like to have come back um and you know that's a a perfect example of what we were talking about and how lanny was saying i want to keep the guys that are on this team like we're going to go to war with the guys that are on this team you know I feel like getting the guy like getting DJ James back what I think I think that would probably outweigh anyone that they could add on the 2022 recruit uh oh, yeah. tra- on the trail right now cuz a lot oh, of those yeah. top top tier guys are already signed. Um so we'll have to see what happens there but I think that you know most of my confidence right now definitely lies in the front seven for Oregon going into next year just because of all the attrition that they've seen in the secondary. 100% and uh again like I mentioned earlier that was the highest touted part of this defense as a unit going into last season. Obviously, Kayvon was the number one draw individually, but if we're talking defensive units, it was that linebacking core that everybody was super excited to see. And, uh, um, you know, they've got some young guys on that on that team too. I mean, today I, uh, I was watching some Jonathan Flo highlights, right? I mean, like they've got some young guys on the, on the linebacking core as well that – um, you know, if we can maximize the potential of this defense, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be tough sledding for a lot of these quarterbacks here in the Pac-12 and other people that come into Hudson. Before we get out of here, Steven, I mean, we, we've been going for over an hour here on this episode of the show, and I feel like there's still so much to talk about. Yep. So there's definitely going to be a lot of good, you know, conversations with you and me and other members of the team at Ducks Digest. But is there anything else that you kind of wanted to, to hit on here from Lenny's conference today, press conference before we, uh, call it yeah i mean um really my thoughts from the conference over the press conference overall were just basically a continuation of the thoughts i've been having every time i see landing speak is that uh, i'm extremely excited about what he's bringing to the staff his commitment to bring oregon to you know real excellence and and honestly honestly max i think we have a, a real shot to get to the promised land here in the next few years and uh um expectations are sky high here in eugene as you know uh but i think this is kind of the guy that may really get us there uh obviously not alone uh he said it best himself he's a better coach when he has better players and so the players are the guys who are who are going to be uh really taking it home and, and it's responsible for the success of this team but in terms of guiding those guys to be successful on the field uh both in terms of his own his own you know 
coaching acumen and then being able to build a competent and experienced staff uh, that knows the importance of recruiting, that knows the importance of retention. Uh, I, I think the sky's the limit with this guy and he's, he just proved it again with the press conference today. Um, the man loves football. It's all the man thinks about. And uh, he understands that he's got a special situation here in Oregon. And I think that comes off every time he has a conference like this. So uh, those are just some of, some of the last overall thoughts I had, but I appreciate that. Very well said. Yeah. The excitement just keeps building every time we talk to him because more stuff has happened since yep. the last time we talked to him. Yeah. There's always, so, there's always uh, some update to ask him about, you know, and some intricacies and some, you know, developments here and there on the trail. So it's always, it's always entertaining to talk to the guy. All right. Well, as we, uh, you know, say our final spiel here, uh, Stephen, where can people find more of you? And uh, did you want to kind of tease uh, kind of some stuff you have in the works for this week, this last weekend? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So starting off, find me on Twitter, SBSports541. That is the best way to get at me right now uh, in terms of just direct communication. Shoot me a follow. would appreciate it. Working on getting a YouTube YouTube channel going. You guys will all be the first to know once I get that up. Uh, and then another thing I would encourage all of you guys to check out the Ducks Digest forums. Uh, that is something that Max and I have a ton of fun with. I'm going to post another topic this evening uh, about you know the running backs and how that kind of looks but i really want to get your guys's opinions on that because honestly that's going to help us with ideas for the show and so our favorite way of of really figuring out content to talk about with you guys is what you're interested in and the fans kind of perspective on things and around the program and so um, i really would love to get your guys input on the forums i'm going to be posting that hopefully uh, on a daily basis so just keep your eye out for that but ducks digest forums i'll be posting stuff there um, and really would love to get your guys's opinions Right on. Yeah, definitely check that out. It's, it's been fun to kind of get some stuff there. Um, you know, I'll, I'll post some, you know, more exclusive content. If I get some scoop, I'm starting to do that over there. So uh, particularly on the recruiting side of things. So definitely worth checking out Ducks Digest Forum. It's a free to sign up, but uh, it's one of those ways that we're really starting to build the community here at Ducks Digest. You know, one of the one of the newer outlets here, um, you know, here in the Oregon market. So that's how you guys can uh, kind of tap in with it with Steven and, you know, make sure you're in the loop with what he's doing um, and helping get him going with his following over on Twitter. If you want to find more of me, you can find me on Twitter at mtaurus sports, and you can also go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you guys are in the live stream right now, it only takes a second out of your day. It's free and it is a tremendous help. We are so close to a thousand subscribers, which is wild, but I uh, would really appreciate it if you guys subscribe to the channel and then go rate and review the Ducks, Di- Ducks Dish podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And then DucksDigest.com is where we're doing all our written stuff, typing things a million miles a minute. Uh, you know, With days like today with this Dan Lenny press conference, having you guys covered. Um, and then you can also find us on um, Instagram at Ducks Digest, Twitter at Ducks Digest, Facebook at Ducks Digest. Sign up for the free Ducks Digest newsletter. I mean, I'm getting fired up just saying that. We got a lot of stuff going on, yep. uh, and it has been a blast. Yep, and then let me just piggyback off of that, guys, for anybody who's watching. Uh, go check out Max's YouTube channel and give it a subscribe. That's actually how I got to be a fan of this entire process here is just watching Max's uh, videos that he's got on there. Uh, it's incredible insight. You can do things like watch the entire landing presser uh, like it was today. You get to hear all of, all of the questions, all of his answers. Uh, it's really insightful stuff. Uh, really awesome content. Like you said, he's incredibly close to a thousand subscribers, but um, there's really, really awesome stuff there. So if you're a duck fan and you want to get uh, the scoop, but also just some really, you know, spot on opinions and kind of a pulse on what's going on with the program, Go out to Max's YouTube channel and give him a follow. 
Appreciate that, Stephen. All right, guys. Well, we're going to call it on this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Uh, if you're new to the podcast or the show, make sure to go check out all our previous work. And, uh, you know, we're, we're getting excited to to really get the Dan Landon era going here. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Eugene at Oregon, there's going to be plenty to cover. So we got hoops coverage as well. Yep. Uh, we're kind of rambling at this point. So we're going <laughs> to go ahead and wrap it up. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm Max Torres. That's Stephen Blanchett. We'll catch you guys in the next one. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com